Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 165 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the inaugural Russian Grand Prix at the Winter Olympic Games location in Sochi, Russia. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And I guess we had what could be called a strategic race today. If by strategic you mean pretty lame. And by pretty lame, which is Russian for boring. Yeah, well... But, no, but this is okay. This is okay because... This will, and I'm saying this declaratively, go down in history as the most boring race of 2014. Meaning that Coda, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi are going to be thrillers. They're going to be great races, which will cement the fact that this has been a fantastic racing season. Formula One is awesome. That is an interesting uh, bit of logic there to, to, to determine that. I mean, yeah, of course, you've uh, you know spoken negatively about anyone calling, oh, this is the race of the year, and it's like halfway through the year. It's like, how would you know that? Exactly. But you're going and the other way. I proved, I proved people wrong. I mean, well, I proved. Uh, it, it was proven I was correct in saying that you don't know that yet because people said this was the race of the year, I think, at least three times. And, every, and then another race came, and it was even better. So... There's been a lot of great races this year. This one was a little bit more straightforward. And if you had to blame one thing, it would be that Pirelli had a conservative choice on tires. And tire management wasn't really a thing. And also people had to think about uh, the championship as a whole a little bit more than they might have earlier in the season. And there was talk of fuel saving being a concern as well. The, right. the, the layout of this meant that people had to save fuel so they weren't pushing as hard. But, but wonder... we here are not blaming anyone. It's just the way it is. And Pirelli, just like anyone else, hadn't been there before. So it's right for them to cause a boring race as opposed to cause a catastrophic race. So Yeah, and that's, that's of course, we've gone back and forth, especially since what was the British Grand Prix from a year ago, with or two years ago even, with... Uh, you know, lots of tire failures and so on. It's like, do you want to, what do you ask Pirelli for? Do you ask them for just the safest possible thing? Cause that's what we got today. And it was not so exciting. Or is there a middle ground between that and tires that completely disintegrate? I mean, I think eventually, if, especially if you were mounting tires backwards as people were and doing some interesting things with um, heat cycles and all that, that eventually tires will disintegrate if you push them really hard. So right. if it's really fun to see people push them that hard, then maybe that's okay. So just understanding the safety envelopes and working within that. So you wonder if it's, you know, if, if Pirelli was doing exactly what they were asked for, then great. You know, that's that's what right. we, it's just who was asking them for that and was that the right call? So And let's not forget, too, that they picked the soft and medium compound tires. So they were just one level higher than the softest possible thing they could bring anyway. So it's not like we were running on hards and mediums. It just came out the way it came out. Right. So so either way, um, it's, uh, you know, it, I think overall a positive reception for the Sochi Autodrome as a track. I mean, the race as it happened, you know, certainly qualifying was, was interesting and worth following and, and was cool. And uh, I think we had a, a mostly positive feedback uh, from drivers about uh, the track sort of looked like it may have been really boring. And I guess the, the race um, didn't turn out to be super strategic. But um, partly, I think, you know, it's the difference in pace. Um, of course, there was Rosberg's uh, just spin, you know, dramatic, not a spin, but uh, straight line, you know, uh, lock up, flat yeah. spot, lock up, whatever. Yeah. And uh, straight lining the chicane, um, overcooking it, trying to uh, trying to get past uh, Hamilton in, you know, turn one or turn two, lap one. Clearly, Mercedes wanted their burgers medium. And I mean, that was at least medium well, if not well done. Yeah. It really, was, 
really unnecessary to overcook like that. <laughs> but I guess Rosberg was trying to play it safe a little bit too when it came to internal temperature. Uh, he didn't want to be the cause of any spreading any more virus. However, uh, yeah, it was what was fascinating to me about that big lockup. It was a big lockup, but to say the vibration and pit right away like that, it ended up working out for him. I, I think he finished where he would have finished anyway. Right. But I was surprised that he didn't give it a few laps to see like, okay, how bad is this vibration? Will this vibration tone itself down while I get used to it? He just said, nope, there's a vibration. I mean, he was in the next lap. That was the end of it. Right. And, you know, he said it was just a mistake on his side. Um, you know, just break too late. That was it. Very unnecessary. Um, he said it was my corner and I should have been the lead I had. Should have been the lead I had. Hmm, whatever. Very disappointed with that. Um, and it, sort of, it says in hindsight, he could have pushed harder. You know, and that's that's really the thing about being the first time at a new facility is that nobody knows exactly what the race, you know, what the racing is going to be like, what the temperatures are going to be like and so on. But with how tire wear is going to be, how the track is going to change over the course of the day. So when he looks at his tires at the very end of the race, he's like, man, I still had plenty of life left. He set the second fastest lap of the race on 51 lap old tires, um, which is something we have not seen possibly ever uh, or if right. so in a very, very long time. Right. That the tires are hard enough and the surface is, uh, is, is you know, like it is and just, you know, it's very rare that we ever get to 51 lap old tires, let alone the ability to set a fast lap on them. So um, that was, you know, very interesting to see. But it's like he, if he had pushed harder, they could have been more ragged by the end of it. He could have, you know, used more of the rubber that he had. But I kind of doubt that if he were really charging after Lewis Hamilton, that Hamilton wouldn't have been able to turn up the wick a little bit and, uh, you know, stay out in front. So like you say, it seems like he pushed about the right amount to get second, which is about what was to be expected of him. And I would say kind so. of, you know, considering that it could have gone way worse than that, that he did a, a, a solid job to, uh, to get back to second after, after, you know, what could have been a, uh, more disastrous day. So I want to give a shout out to, uh, Valetary Botas. He, he was able to get the Williams on the podium yet again. Good for him. There was, there were some brief moments where he thought, man, Botas is running a lap that could get him on pole. This could be epic. This would be very, very cool to see. Didn't quite work out. He ended up getting way drifty on the very last corner, which in of itself was quite cool. And the fact that Valtteri Botas handled it the way he did in the interviews afterwards was quite nice. But he he consolidated his podium finish, did quite well to do so. Um, and uh, even more important to me, Jensen Button, uh, he was the leader of two McLarens, finishing fourth and fifth. That McLaren is improving and getting stronger again. And I... Based on Japan and now Sochi, I, I want to give my official declaration that I think Jensen Button deserves to be in Formula 1 next year. And what I want to happen, if I ruled the world mm -hmm. um, via, via NAS, um, I would have Jensen Button race next year and announce right at the beginning this is his retiring year. And he's going to go off and do something really cool afterwards, hopefully in endurance cars. I think he'd be a brilliant WEC driver. But I think that Button still has a lot to offer, and uh, I just want it to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, you may uh, start start fantasizing pretty quickly when you think, okay, if Jensen Button, you know, he couldn't, he has had a relationship with Honda in the past. If he says, okay, I'm going to drive the inaugural, he drove the Planet car. That's right, the inaugural, you know, Honda F1 car in this modern era, um, and then 
he says, okay, I'm, I'm retiring from F1 at the end of this year, but I'm going into the new Honda LMP1 program that, yes. that uses the F1 technology. Yes. Super cool, 1.6 liter turbo, power unit, curves, whatever, in a prototype car, and he's going to spearhead that and really be at the top of that game and I battling like with Mark Webber and battling like with these other lot. Toyota guys and whatever. Like, that would be a really cool, you know, potential outcome for the next, you know, for his next five years or whatever. But who knows where that's all going to happen. Um, I mean, there's plenty to talk about with... Um, who's going to be where next year, let alone uh, 20, 2016 and beyond, uh, with uh, actually surprisingly little um, new that's come out this week. I mean, we talked last week, uh, of course, about um, Vettel leaving Red Bull and Kafiat being uh, confirmed as being the new second Red Bull driver. And so alongside far, Ricardo, alongside yes. Ricardo. And I think so far that's still it that's official, right? We Nothing official has come out about Ferrari about who's going to be their drivers next year. Right. We presume that Raikkonen's going to stay on because he's got the contract and haven't heard anything otherwise. And, and the, the latter part is the key one. We haven't heard anything otherwise, and I do feel like Raikkonen's form is improving as, as slightly uh, and as painfully slow as it is. It is improving. Raikkonen did qualify just behind Alonso, you know, five hundredths of a seconds off his time. And the attention has been centered around Alonzo. Okay, Vettel's taking your spot is the presumption. Where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. And Alonzo is either being quiet because he doesn't know and he's trying to figure it out himself, or he's being deft and coy because he had plans that he had all along and he's just letting the pot get stirred and let uh, anticipation build as time gets close when he makes his big announcement. What that big announcement is, we don't know yet know. I, I'm still thinking that he's going to be in Formula One next year. I'm Well, let me say this. I still feel like the rumor mill is dramatizing and overstating reality here. He's probably going to do something less drastic than some people are predicting. Well, yeah, and that's actually the, what what we did learn this weekend was he says his future plans will seem obvious in retrospect when they are finally revealed. Um, so, I'm not sure what that means because there's not, I think, an obvious answer. I mean, which which I, I think it's going to be a mobile paella stand that <laughs> travels the F1 circus. Obviously, obviously. Um, and he says he can't say anything until everything is completely done. I guess meaning, um, you know, just all the all the everything signed and in place and whatever. But um, when our Will Buxton was interviewing him and asking him if his the, you know his car next year would have a Mercedes engine in it, he said probably not. I don't know if he said no. For he sure. said probably not. Yeah, he said probably he's, not. He's very so, good about avoiding definites. Right. Uh, which. You know, is good anyway, because of course, and if he shows up in a Mercedes next year, then he's like, well, well, yeah, is what it is. So it's like at least right. he's he's taking, you know, being careful with his words here to say to not just outright lie or just completely say no comment, but to like give us little nuggets to to look at. Um, we just need we just need a few little nuggets, Alonzo. So That's at, all we're asking at for. At one point, we heard of uh, the the talk of okay, what if Alonzo goes to Mercedes? What if Lewis Hamilton is so upset with Mercedes and the way things have gone that Hamilton would then go over to McLaren Honda? Um, back to McLaren, as it were, and then Alonso would be in Mercedes, which you know, which that's the winning car right now. Obviously, they just, as of today, clinched the constructors' championship for 2014. So hooray to them! Good for them on that. Um, but 
if he says, oh, no, it's not going to have Mercedes in it, then it's like, well, could it be a Honda at McLaren? Maybe. Could it be a Ferrari again next year? Maybe all this stuff is, you know, Vettel's not going to go there, and he's going to exactly. say, oh, I'm still a Ferrari. Look how obvious that was, everyone. That's not a Mercedes in the back of my car. You exactly know, right. There's always that. Exactly right. Um, you, know, you know, maybe Kimi Raikkonen. We haven't really heard much of anything. I mean, he hasn't had high enough or controversial enough results to, you know, we haven't even seen him interviewed in several races now, at least on our, on our coverage. This um, is true. I mean, I think part of it is the media finally figured out it's like, oh, Raikkonen's kind of boring on purpose because yeah. he doesn't like You can us. ask him whatever question. You'll get pretty much the similar kind of answer, and it's right. not terribly exciting. So maybe he's been working on something in the background, and Raikkonen's going to move somewhere, and it's going to be Vettel and Alonso at Ferrari. I mean, there's so many permutations, um, but that's the kind of thing. It's like, oh, it seems obvious. It's like, well, maybe that would be. He'd be at Ferrari again next year. And then after that, who knows? But uh, Or Paella stand. I'm not ruling that out yet. Uh and it's funny to me, I kind of feel a little bit like, okay, guys, we get it. There's there's a fervor. Alonso is one of the great drivers in Formula One. Absolutely. And he's also one of the guys that understands how to build attention towards something and how to build anticipation about something. But in my mind, it's like, okay, if Alonso weren't in Formula One next year, that would be a surprise, but Formula One would still be exciting. If Alonso were in Formula One next year, that would not be surprising and still be fun. I don't really care that much. I I wish Alonso happiness and health and good luck wherever you're going, but meh. You know what I mean? It's It doesn't push my buttons too much one way or the other to figure out where he's going just to understand that he is potentially moving somewhere he's not locked down at Ferrari. Good. Good to know. We'll keep an eye out. Yeah, it's and really the key is partly it's what is Alonso doing, but what does that mean for everyone else that's potentially in play, you know, for anyone else True. who doesn't have a contract and how is that going to shake out? And now of course, you know, Vettel being the first one to say, "Okay, I'm leaving," so we know he's not going to be at Red Bull. Um I mean, who knows, right? Vettel if Vettel turns up at I mean, you could be a pretty big stretch to see him at Mercedes next year, but who knows, right? Um, or to see, see so oh, McLaren Honda now with Vettel. I mean, a who big knows? stretch, it's... but you know, he is German. There, that nationally makes a little bit more sense, right? But yeah. you know, but either way, it's like that—that's really the thing. It's like once these top few places get locked in, and then to see where things shuffle arm behind them is just kind of what's going to be interesting. Is what is this grid? you know, look like for next year. And then even, you know, with STR, obviously with, uh, you know, will the John Vern still be there? Will they bring up a new rookie from the Red Bull program or will John Eric Vern move up to a higher level team or whatever? Uh, we also did, I guess, get announced officially that, um, the Lotus team, which was formerly the factory Renault team will be switching away from Renault power to Mercedes power for yes. next year. So right. that's been kind of interesting because for a while there were two Lotus teams, of course, now one is Caterham and, you know, it seems Caterham less, and struggling. Yeah, less and less likely that they'll be around even next year. But one of them is Caterham. The other one, we, you know, we sort of call them like, you know, it was Lotus Renault and it was, you know, formerly Renault team. That is essentially the team that um, Alonso worked with for his two world championships and then left and then came back. Um, and then now it was a Ferrari and so on. So for a minute there, it was like, oh, well, actually, maybe he could go back to Lotus because then they would have Mercedes power and they would be really strong. And that's his old guys over back there. But who knows how many old guys are still there. And now it's a whole other thing. So there's just. Uh, you know, so that is at least one of the official bits of news that we can report if you haven't come across that already. That um, the Lotus cars next year will be Lotus Mercedes cars. I really wish they would get away from the Lotus name and even Caterham as well. Some of these, and and you know, I guess all all the automaker names that aren't really 
to do with the automaker, right? Mercedes, that is part of the Mercedes company. And Ferrari, obviously, is F1 through and through. And McLaren, those are, those are the teams. But, like, Lotus... Well, and McLaren, actually, fun one to bring up. They are very much this one and the same and started in racing. Right. So, but, like, Lotus, the F1 team, has nothing to do with Lotus, the road cars, which are struggling on their own anyway. Yes. Caterham, the F1 team, has nothing to do with Caterham. Marussia, the F1 team, has nothing to do with Marussia, the road cars. It's like those tie-ups do... You know, they just kind of irk me, I guess, because it's sort of implying something it's not. And anyone who knows enough to be interested in buying a Marusha or a Lotus or a Caterham probably would be smart enough to know that it's not because this team on this car over here. It's like, who are they marketing to that's really thinking that they're doing great? Quick aside on that, by the way. Yeah. Lotus, there's a good chance, will not be selling any cars in the United States starting next year. The Evora, which was the uh, larger... Camry V Camry V6 powered Lotus mm-hmm. in the states. It's not being re-upped because of uh, the United States ever increasing safety uh, safety regulations and you know also fuel economy standards. I'm sure didn't help. You know our our fuel economy standards have been stagnant for over a generation, and now they are being ramped up pretty significantly up until 2055 when. Uh, fleet average has to be 55 miles to the gallon, which done be lots to the gallon. So Lotus, as a car manufacturer in the United States, is more and more becoming history slash racing only. And in a weird and bizarre way, it's possible that Caterham will sell more cars in the United States than Lotus will in terms of kit cars. Hmm. So there's a fun little statistic for you tying into Formula One. Um if you don't mind, I would like to get back into 2014 for just a moment okay. to talk about Constructors' Championship, which in a way is becoming a little bit more interesting to me. Here's how we have it right now. Mercedes clinched the Constructors' Championship uh, this weekend in in Russia. Good for them. And that was a 0%, 0% surprise to anyone. I mean, I don't right. think anyone's expecting anything else. Red Bull is quite solidly in second place. 342 points. Right. And uh, after, if I'm doing my math correctly, there's a good chance they will clinch second after the United States GP, which is next up. Williams is in third and inching away from Ferrari. So they are now 28 points clear of Ferrari in terms of constructor's points. In addition to that, they also... They they outscored and in qualifying form looked to be faster than Ferrari right. as well. So right now things are going Williams' way. And in addition to that, I think Coda, uh, Circuit of the Americas, will suit the uh, Williams car quite nicely in terms of stronger tracks. We've seen the Williams. That puts Ferrari fourth in constructors. However, McLaren, as I t- mentioned before, McLaren also outscored Ferrari fairly handedly this weekend. They had a fourth and a fifth, which is what, 18 points? I'm just kind of running that math in my head mentally. I'm not sure if that's right, but something like that. Whereas, uh, you know, well, more points (laughs) than Ferrari. Outside chance, clearly unlikely, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility, especially with a double points paying race at the end, that McLaren, McLaren cheats Ferrari of fourth in the constructors. How about that? If Ferrari ends up fifth in the constructors at the end of 2014, that would be yeah sad times at Marinello. But they've already started, of course, this restructuring of everything, and you know, fired guys in the middle and fired guys at the top, and so on. So um, I think for the Ferrari 
organization, they could look at that and say, okay, we knew this was a transitional year. I mean, we, you know, changed all the managers and whatever. So it's a little bit tough to expect an immediate return on that change of changeover. Well, if anything, I think that changeover means that less emphasis will be put on finishing this year strong. Right. So if anything, they can say, okay, we knew 2014 was going to suck, but check it out for next year. We've got fill in the blank, new driver. And this other guy, fill in the blank, current driver, maybe. Plus this fill in the blank technology. You know, yeah, it's like they, you know, it's sort of not a not going to be a surprise if they don't do well. But yeah, it's going to be like space ninjas. Of course, it'll be space ninjas. Right? Why, why wouldn't it be not be space working ninjas on, working on the car? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> to, for space. Ferrari to be to be that far back, um, I mean, it's 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 wild. So I'm just looking at the powertrains, right? Of course, we know the Mercedes engine has been super strong. It is powering the Mercedes cars who've just clinched the championship. However, I feel important to emphasize that it isn't just the engine. Clearly. Right. Not just the engine. But so Ferrari, of course, uses their own powertrains. Um, then the other Ferrari teams are, are the Marussias and the Saubers, which are, you know, ninth and 10th in the championship. Um, the Renaults are all sort of at the bottom half, except for Red Bull Racing. And of course, now with the departure of Lotus from using Renault power, um, the, you know, Ren- Renault engine technology is really going to be more, um, you know, Red Bull will sort of be their works uh, project, you know, like. I thought that was kind of announced ahead of a Lotus becoming a Mercedes team anyway. It was like. Yeah. Renault said, hey, like, Red Bull's our team now. Right, and so I don't know how related those two are, but either way, yeah, they're like, Red Bull, this is the, the factory Renault effort, if you will, um, for, you know, the French engines and the Austrian team flag with the, you know, what, Australian and uh, Russian drivers, so it's all over the place with that, uh, <laughs> with that team now, but um, but hey, whatever, that's that's cool, I mean, and, uh, and that's hopefully comes together well for them. But, you know, it's like all the Renaults are, you know, this except Red Bull in second place is the STR in seventh. And they've traditionally done better than that. And the Lotus in eighth now in the Constructors' Championship. And, of course, Caterham dead last, um, which uh, probably hasn't doesn't have much to do with the engine, but just overall problems with the team there. But uh, still, it's just amazing how um, how big a difference that is uh, where, in this case, you know, the, um, you know, at least... I guess you could say, you know, the, the works teams are beating the customer teams. You know, we've seen in the past where, of course, McLaren Mercedes outperforming Mercedes Mercedes in the past yes. um, has been uh, a problem. We've seen, uh, you know, Sauber Ferraris outdo Ferraris, not over the course of the entire team, but for, or of course, the entire season. But uh, in some cases, you know, seeing the customer cars come up there. But, um, you know, it's it's an interesting balance of power. So we'll see then. Um, Honda has said they will be exclusive to McLaren for 2015, but after that, they are open to supplying other teams. Uh, we know that Haas F1 is due to be uh, starting in 2016, and they'll, they'll be a Ferrari customer. And, you know, we as Americans are hopeful that, you know, American industry bring, breaking into Formula One, that that will go successfully. And, uh, you know, we'll see some good results from them. But it's such early days, it's difficult to expect much out of that team until we really see, you know, things start to come to, to come together for that, right. let alone who's going to drive and everything else. Expect them to be more in the Marussia Ferrari fold than the McLaren Honda fold, you know. Right. But Haas is, so far at least, doing it correctly. He He's going to come in 2016, not 2015. He's partnering with Ferrari way ahead of time to build a technical relationship plus give Ferrari some money. You'll see Haas automation on the side of the Scuderia Ferrari team. Yeah, we see that now. Actually, there's already exactly Haas right. There. Yep. And so I am way more optimistic about Haas than I was about USF1. So well, yeah, USF1 was a whole other thing. I think we were optimistic about it because, like, 
the few news outlets that were reporting on it were like firmly drinking the Kool-Aid and, you know, Peter Windsor himself as, you know, at the time anyway, a very respected journalist in his own right and, you know, sort of man behind USF1. I'm still respected as a journalist, I think. But as a, I don't know, the, I feel like there was a, he just kind of fell off the radar a little bit after that. And, I, you know, he's still around. He does a podcast and he shows up in various places. But um, to uh, to be involved in this project, which really seems like they would have had to been, it's not just, okay, being optimistic about it is one thing, but to be involved in this project that really just never materialized near as far as it they sort of implied that it was getting like, oh, yeah, no, we've got cars on the ground and we'll be there. And, you know, even just a month before the first race, but, oh, no, we're going to be there. And then just completely disappearing. And then when people see behind the scenes, it was like, wow, they were really nowhere close. Like that goes beyond just being optimistic to really kind of being deceitful about really trying to say you've got something that you haven't. And I think you lost some credibility there. But anyway, like we were yes. excited about it, but, you know, never had that good of a reason to really you know, expect, you know, any kind of results. It was just like, hey, this is going to be great. There's going to be a new team. And Jim that's, nor that's going to be I drink said Kool-Aid. Right. That was discussed, that other people had. It, it's it's very true. And uh, I don't think Haas expects to be knocking on championships door uh, in 2016. But, you know, over time, if he's in it for uh, a longer term, there's a chance that he can become a solid player. I mean, let's not forget... There are success stories in Formula One today. Look no further than Red Bull. Red Bull was the uh, originally the uh, Stewart uh, Stewart Ford Formula One team that became the Jaguar Formula One team that became the Red Bull Formula One team, and the Red Bull Formula One team won the constructors' championship and drivers' championship uh, pretty recently, actually. <laughs> so it is not likely or common, but it is possible that. Haas F1 can one day be a very strong form. Yeah, and of course Red Bull, um, as you say, through Jackie Stewart and, and Jaguar and everything, it, there's a many-year process as well. You know, remember, um, you know, with David Coulthard and the, and the Red Bull for a while, and of course Mark Webber, and then Vettel and STR, and then Vettel being moved up to Red Bull. Like, this is a multi-year whole plan. This is not like they, you know, they bought it out and said, "Hey, we've got millions of dollars. Let's go spend this money." And the next year, they were winning championships. I mean, it just does take time to get all the right people no, in no, place no, and learn just everything. Money. Just money. Remember, we remember when Toyota was in Formula One, it was like, "Come on, we need more money." Yeah, Toyota, you know, just being those young, scrappy guys that tried hard with the little they had. Yeah, of course, I'm kidding. So, exactly what he said. What it, it all depends on uh, Gene Haas's long-term interest because we've seen that with. Uh, uh, we've seen that ebb and flow with uh, VJ Malia, who mm -hmm. is by far the most successful of the newer teams, uh, newer than Red Bull at least. And we've seen that with uh, is the Fernandez, who who until recently owned Caterham. Tony what, Fernandez. Tony yeah. Fernandez. And then, of course, uh, with which is what now the Marusha is. That was originally Virgin Racing. Guys come into it. They're way into it. Big, big deal. And then a couple years later, it was like, eh, nah. So we'll see. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a big question mark. Um, all right, in, still very heavy in on my mind, on and heavy on many others. Uh, Jules Bianchi. We have learned a little bit more. He essentially had a diffuse axial uh, hit, uh, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Basically, similar to what happened to me. He hit his head really hard, and he. Is definitely still in the hospital. We can. It hasn't been stated, but we can presume it's a medically induced coma right now. And 
Well, I do think since the last race um, and, and our, since our last show, um, at that point, what was being reported was that he was breathing on his own. I think that was debunked. I think that was um, either mistranslated or sort of a non, not properly sourced bit of information where somebody said, oh, yeah, no, he's breathing without assistance. And, and that was, you know, I think in some press release it was in French and then that was translated and it went uh, kind of uh, around the circle. And then, and then I think that was sort of a misunderstanding. So I don't think that we can say that for sure, um, that he is definitely breathing without uh, assistance from a machine or the tubes or whatever. I think that has right. been, uh, they've, you know, kind of gone back on that of people that have looked into a little bit more and realized, oh, wait, we looked at this report and now actually looking at it more closely, that's not really the case. So not that it's a turn for the worst, but it's just that, you know, what, what we were going on that was, we thought fact at the time was, was really not properly sourced and is unfortunately not maybe, uh, not maybe true. And there are probably some of our listeners, I know that Jim and I have, in fact, we did see video of Bianca's accident, and it is not pleasant. It's still quite possible. No, let me change that. It's still, there's still no reason to think that given enough time, Bianca can indeed recover. And that is absolutely what I'm going to think um for now it's but it is a serious situation and it just i feel like it's important to note that it's still on our minds we're still wishing for the best and uh, it's it's interesting to see the team both the team move on the teams like formula 1 move on and then at the same time show their support there is forza jewels um uh, stickers running all over support for Jules Bianchi uh, uh, cross the uh, Formula One paddock. They had with their fun um, advanced graphic television coverage showed um, on the track. We are supporting Jules Bianchi, you know, all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of support for him. And uh, then the slightly not entirely clear news that the Bianchi car was not run this weekend. It was going to be uh, American driver Alexander Rossi, but instead the car sat. Right, and I thought that was a little bit strange because um, the, it is a balance, like you say, of sort of showing support and showing reverence to the seriousness of what's happened, but also, you know, it's it's a bit of life goes on and it's a bit of, you know, the sport goes on, and that's ultimately... We have to keep in mind that that's what this sport is. It's a dangerous thing, and cars are traveling at these crazy high speeds, and that's what makes it interesting and worth, you know, why we're all here as well. Is not not of course to see people injured, but just to see people that can't do what you and I could just do. You know, I couldn't get into a car and drive anywhere near that fast at those kind of conditions and whatever. So like we're seeing something exceptional, and when you're doing something that's outside of the ordinary, then you know, especially with something like motor racing, like things can happen, injuries can happen, you know, and with injuries are worse. So um, in a way, of course, there is a calendar, there's a schedule, uh, you know, it's it's not the case, you know, it wouldn't make sense to say, okay, let's not run the next race. I mean, even after fatalities, of course, 1994, uh, you know, they went on with, with racing. And even after, um, you know, things like you remember the uh, Italian Grand Prix in 2001, it was like right after September 11th. And they were like, hey, part of the whole point is life moves forward and we need to move on and, and you know, things keep happening. So I thought it was, it was, I was excited at first to see that Alexander Rossi was officially entered on the roster as the Marussia's second driver with Max Chilton, of course, in the other car, um, to think, okay, it's not ideal circumstances, obviously, because ideally, you know, Jules Bianchi would have gotten out of his car and been, hey, yeah, I crashed, but I'm okay, we're fine. Um, but 
to think, okay, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a delicate uh, situation, right? Because I guess if they put someone else in his car for the next race, you could see that potentially he and his family, you know, him looking, looking back on this later on when he's able to, to follow what's going on and, and all that could look at that and go, man, I was just so quickly, I was replaced um, to think that, oh, it's that, you know, they didn't, you know, like everyone has these, you know, showing their support, but hey, there's someone else driving my car already. I guess you could kind of see that, but I feel like his his family is a racing family. They have a history uh, of, you know, through Formula One and sports cars and things throughout the years, uh, you know, and, and just even his dad uh, lost a bunch of his family members to, you know, racing fatalities and, you know, previous generations and so on. Like this family knows racing the good side and the bad side and how it can all pan out so i don't know that it would be such a sort of a, I don't know, knee-jerk isn't the right word but such a simple reaction to think to think okay well i had this car last week now i'm injured now there's someone else driving my car i feel like to some extent that's that's how it goes and that's kind of how it has to go that to keep things moving forward um and you never know what's going to happen in a race of course as it happened it was a very processional kind of race um where people pretty much spaced out. There was no safety car to bunch people back up, uh, which was sort of expected. And the way the pits were, almost everyone did a one-stop strategy. So uh, it didn't end up happening to be that crazy. But, um, you know, no no one could be sure of that on Friday. So it seems like, if anything, giving giving someone the drive, I mean, I would have thought it would make sense to um, get Alexander Rossi in the car. It's it's great for his career. It's not a, it's not an attack against Jules Bianchi, I don't think. Um, I, I, I get how it could be seen that way. Um, but I really think, you know, most people that understand uh, just the sport and the ins and outs of things and, and so on um, would would recognize that, you know, if, if one driver is not ready to go um, for whatever reason, um, you know, we, we always want to get out there and do the best thing we can to try to score points, to try to make results and, you know, get our sponsors information out to the fans and just, you know, move everything forward. So um, I was, I have to say, a bit disappointed uh, to not see Alexander Rossi get his chance in a race, even if it didn't turn out too much just to to get that exposure and to have an american driver in f1 is you know, partly cool that he's american but just even as any new driver i mean it was interesting for us to see lotterer in the car at spa and that turned out to be a very very short excursion definitely um in in this case of course now max chilton had a problem with the car um and that's just it that's the almost irony of it is you know marusha very quickly was not in the inaugural Sochi Grand Prix. Right. And of course, partly it's Marussia, so it is a Russian team owned, you know, there's Russian money involved. I mean, how connected it is to the Russian car company Marussia is what we talked about earlier, uh, 10 US at best, but either way. Um, but yeah, so, and it, even that was a little bit weird because they, they retired the car. He said, oh, I think I have a problem with the front left. And then later on, the team said, oh, no, it was actually a problem with the right rear. Um, the right rear what we don't know they didn't right. say what the actual problem was or what the nature of it was but it was clearly he pulled him to pits uh with no great hurry and the mechanics all sort of were looking at his car and poking at stuff and they retired it so in that kind of situation it's it's easy to look back at it i guess but even at the time in real time when we were watching it it seems like is it really worth sitting out a race for one car when it's just any chance you might have um who knows what might happen if through strategy or safety cars or probably not weather in this case but who knows um you know that if you have a chance to score another point another two points that's huge for them i mean it is it is kind of um you know a, a nice um reflection to to see that the only two points that have ever been scored by this team are by Jules Bianchi that there's this sort of you know reverence for what he's done for the team has been huge um but having somebody else like Alexander Rossi score more points wouldn't be bad. That's all good. That's no. all moving everything forward. Of course, so. that would not be bad. And, you know, to be blunt, I think Mar uh, Rossi would have done better than Chilton has been doing. That is, I'll admit, biased and 
uh, myopic, but it is also still how I feel despite knowing those things. It's I, for me personally, I'm going to say, I think it's okay that they retired the car temporarily as it were and hold it at face value that they did so in reference and um, reverence to Jules Bianchi and not worry about what else is going on behind the scenes, why this happened this way. Yes, I agree with what Jim's saying entirely. Could have been better, but it was something that, if nothing else, was successful in showing solidarity solidarity to Jules Bianchi and helped people remember that, hey, this is not an entirely jolly mood here in the Formula One circus. There, there is a, something that subdues folks here, and I so not necessarily because that was we're certain that was the motivation behind it, but because of the effect it did have, the effect was positive. People did positively think about Jules Bianchi. And I think that is worthy and I'm okay with it for that reason. Yeah, and as it happened with, with Max Chilton retiring early, the whole team at some level, I'm sure is disappointed to have the car out of the race, but also um, could just sort of breathe a sigh of relief, start packing up and start heading home and just kind of, move on. And as we talked about, it's it's three weeks until the next race. Presumably by then, we'll know more about Bianchi's condition, um, sort of if... We'll have good news by then. Yes, right. And, um, you know, I don't think it's then, you know, would be seen as insensitive to have someone else in the car, especially if the race happens to be in the United States, having Alexander Rossi drive the car in America, that would be, you know, kind of a nice positive thing that would be, could be more separate from, hey, this is, this is you know, looking down upon Jules or anything like that. So I'm, you know, thinking, okay, this 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 was just a week, you know, just a few days after um, the crash in Japan. Right. They had to get set up in Russia. The, everything is completely new. There's a lot of unknowns still and so on. But hopefully, you know, over the next you know, three weeks, and I mean, things we, will settle down. Very much so for everyone. This was all part of one trip. You right. know, this was a singular trip to go to Japan and Russia. No one was having a break in between. So this is as you say, some actual finality to what was, by pretty much all accounts, a terrible trip. And now there's a chance to rebuild, have some things happen. And as you say, there is a little bit of time for Jules, a very young, fit, um, fundamentally healthy person to recover and uh, get better. And the family can make an announcement to that regard. And I think with that, that will give the team a proper boost. And with luck, absolutely, I would absolutely love to see Alexander Rossi in the car. For to have his first race in a Formula One car be at the United States Grand Prix, that would be quite fun. It would be a coincidence, but a very happy one. Right. And I just, you know, I want to take a moment and thank the Russian race for being very straightforward so that we could jump into these bigger level conversations because um, there wasn't too much to talk about during the race. But, uh, you know, for me, it, for me personally, I just know that the thing I'm looking forward to the most is hearing about 
uh, Jules Bianchi in uh, good news from, from Jules. And then secondarily, if there's an opportunity to get Rossi in that car, yes, definitely yes. We got an email this past week from Paul Peard, um, who uh, wanted to um, just listen to the Japanese podcast. Uh, thought we, uh, you know, enjoyed our coverage of it and uh, handled a tricky situation well. So I appreciate that. Um, he does talk about the the video that uh, some people have probably seen of of the crash. Um, it's it's tough, you know. It's it's not some, It's sort of like you don't want to click on it and see it, but you kind of just you know some people just kind of do and uh, want to see what's what's happened as best we can. Well, there's there's understanding that it's negative. And it's morbid, but it's also huge. I mean, people are curious, and they want to know what happened and why. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of questions, because in that video, you see the flag stand right there where the crash happened, waving a green flag. Um, and at first, I think everyone watches that video and goes, why, why in the heck would that be a green flag? That seems crazy. But the way the flagging rules are, of course, is, is the... Uh, what you're signaling to the driver is, here's what's happening down the track from me. Like, you can see me now, but here's what's happening in the future. Right. And it's correct that after that flag station, um, there was no, you know, no no drama or debris or anything. So really, it was all down to the previous flag stand waving the yellow flag, which I think happened correctly. So it's just one of these things when you have to, when you look at it closely, it's easy to intuitively look at that and think, hey, something's wrong. But I think in the, uh, in, in the, in the week following, we've all learned a lot more about flagging rules and martial rules and so on. And... Uh, I think um, it's it's worth saying that it seems like the uh, um, you know FIA did a did a reasonable job you know considering you know you don't know what's going to happen with the weather but um, you know there was talk of course of moving the start forward and that was turned down but um, that it ultimately did come together well and uh, you know they, we got a race in um, of course it would have been um, if, if it had been red flagged a, a lap earlier and you know everyone was no one was injured that would have been so much better but. Um, there's there's no way to kind of know that for sure, of course, going into it. Right. It, exactly right. And, uh, Jim, your point about that green flag is a good one to make. And I will be the first to admit that I myself first thought, why are they waving green right now? But you're absolutely right. It's, it's basically trying to say, okay, after now, we're okay. Although there is, in my opinion, still a little bit of gray area of if that indeed is the best way to move forward to right. say that at the point of the incident we're green and then that means from past this point we're green it's it's to me it's mixed messages to a certain extent right and that's i think the key of it has been this um it's there's not a clear definition because uh, now you've done you know I, I haven't done any racing to, to speak of but you've you've got a you know a lot of racing experience so flagging always seemed like a bit of this weird vague thing where is it if you see a yellow flag, if you're driving and you, as far as, you know, last time you crossed that finish line, it's green flag, everything's happy, or no flag, meaning, okay, the race is going, everything's fine. Um, Usually it's a standing green flag. Okay, so yeah. the green flag's hanging there, you're doing your thing. So you're driving around. Um, when is it your sort of responsibility as a driver to slow down and back off? Is it, I don't know, I guess assuming you don't have a radio and a guy telling you knowing exactly where you are, because they right. slow down right now. That's exactly right. Is it the moment that you see a flag, or... Yeah, it's at the moment you see the yellow, it, and it's technically like a speed limit sign, you know, it, it's intended to mean at that flag station is where the slow down point starts, and at the flag station is where, if it goes green, you can speed up again. However, this is something that I find... A little bit fascinating. It hasn't been brought up much, but in American racing, it's much more common for any incident to cause a global yellow, full track yellow, yeah. as opposed to a local yellow. 
Um, if you watch IndyCar racing, the safety car is out way more often because just a a local yellow just almost never happens. Yeah. And it's been surprising to me that that solution has not even been brought up at all. There is – it is ultimately – You obviously don't read Twitter, sir. <laughs> all, every kind of solution you can imagine has been brought up well, by okay, somebody that, or other. Well, okay, that, yeah. that has been officially announced sure. uh, by, you know, folks that, you know, matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it is – it does slow down the pace of the race overall if the, if the safety car is out more often, certainly. However, it does also negate these types of incidents – and I think the the core influence behind it isn't to protect the drivers, but to protect the safety crew that are helping the uh, cause of the original accident. Right. And, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. And, and as we talked about a little bit last week, the drivers, of course, are managing their own their own race. They're racing with people around them. So you want to back off, but you don't want to back off too much, you know, relative to whoever else is around you. Whether they're actually around you on track or what's more common is they may be at a very different part of the track, but you knowing that, okay, they're going to have to do a pit stop or I'm going to have to do a pit stop. So it's not just a matter of, oh, if I back off and the guy behind me can't pass me, then everything is even. Uh, so what I think seems like the more fair way to do it is this pit lane, or not pit lane, but um, a speed limit for yellow flag area where it's, I think, clearly defining where this yellow flag region starts and ends yeah um and then making it such that okay there is this speed limit that you cannot go faster than x during this section and so everyone's clear on when yeah, that starts. almost like a pit lane limiter right when that stops and then as soon as that stops like you say you you cross the the next line which is okay now there's a green flag from here forward as soon as you do that everybody gets off the limiter you're back to full speed racing but this whole you know uh, the, okay you have to lift and you have to back off but how much eh, it's kind of up to you you just have to show that you lifted it's like just kind of making an effort um that's this sort of this gray area that and and ideally you know the safety car the trouble with that is of course it does take the lap for the safety car to get out and he has to you know get in front of the cars at the right time and everybody bunches up and maybe the back markers get around and they're driving that takes time but the but the 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 second one flag goes yellow it's announced on the radio and the whole course goes yellow right so that that part takes effect quite quickly right but then there's even still is that question of how much do you back off and then if you are not behind the safety car um if you if you basically just cross the line the safety car came out right behind you then you can still go pretty fast to get to catch back up in the back of the train, so to speak. So then I still think the, the, the local yellow speed limit makes sense to say, you know, the point of this whole thing of any local yellow is to have, uh, to keep everybody safe in the area where there's something crazy going on. Right. And if that's enough, you know, big enough deal to do a whole safety car, then fair enough. But um, I think locally it makes sense where it's like, yeah, let them race. If it's safe to race on the rest of the track, let them race on the rest of the track and things can keep moving forward. But make sure that it is safe for everyone involved um, in the in the area where it happens. So anyway, that's my personal vote. But yeah, we no, were... And I hear you. And I think what, one thing that's worth mentioning uh, on this topic is we were dealing with extraordinary conditions here, right? Uh, it, it's It's not right to be just reactive because... Let's think about these circumstances. There was a typhoon looming right there. That narrows things down. Um, track track condition was wet and uh, and uh, getting worse. It, night was falling on a day race. There's very low light. Then an accident happened. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we start, we're getting to diminishing returns for this specific thing repeating itself. We're already at fairly low returns. So it's important when you think about these solutions to think about, yes, we don't want this to happen ever again. 
But we also want to think more holistically, okay, how do we handle safety things, safety responsibilities generally so that one accident doesn't cause another? And that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, one, one accident caused a yellow, which in fact caused this much more serious accident. So that is the larger picture. How do we fix that thing without taking away from the fact that we are still racing and this is happening? That, that, is, the, that is the problem that we're dealing with. Indeed. That's a nice throwback. <laughs> I got an indeed, yes. We were in the midst of Paul Peard's email, so if I may, I will continue with that. Yes, uh, he you says, may. on the Vettel Alonso Ferrari McLaren gate thing... Eddie Jordan on BBC had an interesting angle. He insists Alonso is going to McLaren Honda, but emphasized that Alonso was really going to Honda, and McLaren happened to be where Honda engines were going to be used. Um, he w- further went to say that he thinks Ron Dennis's position at McLaren is under threat because there wasn't room for Alonso and Dennis. And Paul says, not sure I buy it, but an interesting angle. And I don't know how Ron Dennis's position could be under threat when Ron Dennis essentially owns. I mean, it is ultimately a public company, is it not? But it's, Could have said that about Luca de Montezemolo or Stefano Domenicali in a way. I mean, not owns, but, you know, I guess having... Yeah, but this is more like, uh, I forget his first name, but Mr. Dell of Dell Computers. Michael. Uh, Michael Dell. He he was the CEO and chairman of Dell. And at one point, he was no longer the leader of the place, but uh, clearly he was needed, and he is more or less in charge of that thing. Or, indeed, uh, Steve Jobs at Apple. I mean... Both examples where they got kicked out of their own companies. Right, but then were reinstated. And in a sense, Ron Dennis was already kicked out, sort of. I mean, you know, what happened with Martin Whitmarsh and that. I mean, I feel like that's already happened so with Ron. He was out and back in already. McLaren's going to start building computers, is what I've got from that. No, I'm saying that uh, they're, they're going to get into uh, iPods. And they're going to be like, check it out, the McLaren iPod. It's like, guys, that kind of happened a few years ago. MacPod. Anyway, um, he can, Paul continues, Formula E, he agrees with us on changing the cars. That's silly. Fan boost, he thinks, is extremely silly. And he can live with the sound. They are electric. You, you know, deal with it. Um, they look great, but they just aren't fast enough for a TV spectacle. And uh, different power limits for qualifying in the race does seem like nonsense. Although, you have to say, back with Turbo F1 cars, um, this is me editorializing now, uh-huh. different, different power levels for qualifying in the race was kind of spectacular because you'd get these crazy high, you know, these like 1,200 horsepower crazy tunes for I've, qualifying. I heard, I heard as high as 1,500 horsepower yeah. before that died down. And then, you know, and then especially if you didn't have to use the same engine for the race, you would just, you know, just turn your engine all the way up. and it They was like, essentially melted the engines, yes. but they did so over a course of a lap. But that's really cool. That's amazing. I mean, that's not environmentally friendly. That's probably not great for safety. There's a lot of reasons you could say that's a bad idea, but it's really cool. So anyway, okay, like turning up the wick more for qualifying – on an electric car, I think that's actually kind of sweet because it's not, of course, a direct well, thing, but it's... But you can also do do this much more safely than you could back in the turbo Right, row. and there is that, that is the case with an electric car that you go and buy. You would have the option to say, do I want this in sport, you know, performance mode or whatever, where it's like, I want to get all the power and I have, you know, much more limited range, or am I just on a, an easy Sunday drive where I'm going to go get groceries and I want all the range in the world and I don't want some power? That's a nice advantage that you get with electric cars that they might as well you know expand upon that for the racing in my opinion to promote 
hey, the versatility of this thing. Of course, these are race cars. The idea isn't maximum range, but that is part of the equation, of course, in any racing. It's endurance and it's fuel saving and tires and everything else. So to be able to show, yeah, these things, when you only have to do one lap, look at this. Turn up the car. You get this really great performance out of it, and that's great. And then when you go into racing conditions, that's another thing. I mean, look, electric cars are great at all of them. I think that would help the uh, help the message, if, if nothing else. Well, so, and, and let's not forget that, look, we're we're in a world that is shifting um, power sources and electricity is a more sustainable power source than an internal combustion engine and formula e is kind of the early adventurer into this format as a way to have new power sources and still entertain us with racing and racing is awesome let them play around let them play with and see what proves to be fascinating, what proves to be a challenge, what proves to be lame and proves to be a gimmick. You know what I mean? You have to, I think, let it be as freeform as possible and try these different things. That's my opinion. Right. And if they come up with something that's super popular and you know makes lots of money for the people involved and fans dig it, whatever, then you can't say that's entirely a bad thing, right? You know? Well, you can. You'd just be wrong. Well, maybe. You can say things that are wrong all the time. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, I, can, I, I do it on a daily basis. <laughs> In fact, you're doing it right now. I am right now. It's wrong to say people can be wrong. All right. On Twitter, we had some good... Uh, so, first of all, I'll thank you, Paul, for the email. On Twitter, we did have some good and nice short little bits of feedback. Um, a couple of people watching the race live and so on. Um, Ziggy saying, not sure how exciting the podcast review will be after that race, but can't wait to hear it. Actually, he, say, actually, he says, can wait to hear it. Maybe that was a typo, or maybe he's really kind of putting us down a little bit. But either Duh. way, uh, hopefully uh, we didn't disappoint anyone. Um, Craig Rose uh, wonders if we got to see any of the Bathurst 1000. Um, he says, man, the last on the grid to first. And I did. They actually red flagged the Bathurst 1000 for the first time in like forever. It was kind of a crazy race. I was only catching bits and pieces because it's kind of at a weird time for us here in Michigan. Um, yeah, way to go, Australia, with your time zones. But, I mean, come on, dude. Bathurst 1000, Mount Panorama Circuit, and the V8 Supercars, it's a, it's a fun race. Remember, we did that Brilliant two track. years ago yeah. with our overnight live uh, Japanese Grand Prix episode 100. That yep. was a whole thing. I, the thing I remember about that the most, the clearest memory of that is Red Bull and vodka. Yes. Yikes. That was a good thing. And um, also, it was the six hours of Fuji from World Endurance Championship. That was also happening during similar times. So, with Australia time zone and Japan, and then, of course, Russia being more the European time zones. Anyway, it was a it's a good overnight to uh to stay up all night um thankfully my little baby let me go to sleep last night and uh was was quite good so jim your not... baby is growing uh a, at an excellent exponential rate i don't think it's actually exponential well let's say it is okay see the fate there you go i'm being wrong again um <laughs> i also want to give a shout out to another email we got uh, from my wife uh, who sent this as uh, this was fascinating to me uh, Bernie Ecclestone demands total silence for Russian national anthem in front of President Vladimir Putin at the Grand Prix. So apparently um, this was unprecedented, but uh, Bernie Ecclestone himself sent an email out saying, hey, guys, seriously, quiet during the Russian national anthem. It just gives you a little taste and a reminder, and this actually was peppered into the United States coverage. This is not a stable uh, region of the world and not a stable time for that not stable region. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Very recently, Crimea was uh, taken over. Um, Russia took it over uh, from Ukraine, and blah, blah, blah happened, and so on and so forth. And, oh, Sochi's right there. Right. And uh, it's it's a bit like, 
hey, you know, you know, everybody be on your best behavior, okay? Dad's coming to the dinner. It's like kind of, it's kind like, of, okay, and not no, modern dad, 1950s dad. It's like is nobody, coming. nobody snicker when the Russian flag is up because Vladimir's going to be here and right. we can't mess him up. Right. Uh, one last little brief shout out to Geek Girl F1, our friend Amy, who. Uh, yeah, was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut in. Who that. was uh, going to be surprised if Nico could make it to the end of uh, end of the race on one set of tires? And of course, he did. He very and much uh, did. also uh, shared in uh, said, "What a shame for Max and the team uh, when Chilton retired in the, the Marusha." And also shout outs to commenters on our last podcast on Facebook, uh, Bernard A. Thank you very much. Uh, keep uh, keep commuting to work, sir. Um, Albert Palmer and Jim Helwig seven times, which I have to applaud not only for commenting but also for your um, finger strength. <laughs> Just uh, to hit us up with the comments the way you did. That was brilliant. Appreciate that. Um, Jim, one thing I'll mention about his comments, he's a little nervous about the fact that uh, Nico Rosberg could still win this championship despite what seems like it's been a bit one-sided. Uh, depending on how you look at the statistics, you know, uh, Lewis Hamilton indeed has won nine races to Nico Rosberg's four. But when you look at when he wasn't winning, what was he doing versus what Rosberg was doing when he wasn't winning? That's where it gets a little sticky. And, you know, that goes on. Uh, that goes that way, I guess. Ooh, maybe Alonso's obvious solution for next year is he's going to be in Ferrari's third car. Seems pretty Ooh. obvious. Courtesy of my friend Rory posting that. Well, you know. One never knows. Crazier things have happened. Or have they? Maybe not. Thanks, Rory. I want to look at predictions. Can we do that? Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, first of all, Jim, thank you for finally getting our dramatic pause uh, machine working. Yes. Wasn't that good? <laughs> it was quite good. Uh, it is predictions time, and that is a dramatic thing. Uh Jim finally did the right thing and listened to me, predicted the same way I did, and Wait, lo and behold, won. How didn't, about didn't that? Didn't I predict first? How, how? I don't even remember. All I know is you're trying to copy me, and you are benefiting from it. Right. And that's the way it's always been, even though you're way in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I anyway, don't know. It, is, it is, for me, personally, I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, predicting Hamilton Hamilton proved correct. Uh, he was on pole, and he did win the race. Zero points for both Jim and myself. And, drum roll, I'm going to not change a thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, Hamilton won the inaugural USGP. Hamilton is once again in the fastest car. And I do not see any reason to think that that won't repeat itself yet again. Not to mention, um, this is something that the uh, United States coverage has mentioned, and I happen to agree with. Uh, they describe Hamilton as a momentum driver. And, you know, when he's high, he's even higher. When he's low, he's even lower. Well, he's high right now. He's he's in a groove. He's in the zone. And I see no reason why he can't just keep going and capitalize on this. Right. And, you know, it was, it was cool to see the new track and a new challenge for everyone. And Hamilton just... just really dominating on it you know i mean i think i guess it was in, one in practice terms of session. fuel management in right. terms of tire management and and in terms of pace i mean he right. just had it covered and just confidence and everything i mean you know when we saw the onboards from nico hawkiness <laughs> that's frohawk okay is the name we we were trying to determine 
Is it a mohawk? Is it a fauxhawk? What is it exactly on Hamilton's head? I kind of like brohawk. I like frohawk. I think that that is completely perfect well, for okay. well, description we will, for what that you're, is. You're, you're right. Your description's more accurate, but mine is more bro-y. And I'm, I'm very uh, welcoming. I'm, I'd welcome the fans' opinions on this. <laughs> no, it, it, frohawk is more accurate. You are right. But I'm still going to call it a brohawk. Brohawk is the trademark name of the frohawk. Oh, so it's like a brand name. But yes. anyway, he was at a new uh, at a new venue. He was able to do really well. And of course, you know, when he when Circuit of the Americas was a new venue to Formula One, it was Lewis Hamilton who was on top there. So not that it's not a new venue now, but I think Hamilton knows his way around this track. Sebastian Vettel won it most recently. Yes, but yeah, 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 it's not going to happen. Um, I think it's all about Hamilton as well. I think Rosberg on the on the onboards from that whole lap one, you know, just at the start or whatever was just like, I don't know if it was like trembling or just kind of rushing to do the controls and seemed like a little bit late on the downshifts or what exactly was going on. But it just, you know, you see Lewis is on board. He was just like, yep, I'm going here, turning, totally confident, totally controlling, keeping everything going and uh, not not shaky, not, not you know, fighting with the car or anything. It just seemed dialed in for him and working well. And Rosberg was not that. I mean, you have to say Rosberg did very well to recover and, uh, you know, drive as long as he did on those tires and, and make it all happen for second place. That is a commendable effort as well. But um, the fact that Lewis didn't even have to do that and was just able to stay out in front, I think he's going to continue to do so. So as kind of boring as it is for us to all predict the same thing, and, of course, now um, the predictions uh, uh, spreadsheet, uh, what is it? We'll St- agree with statistical us, Statistical yes. heuristic model. Uh, will agree with us that everyone thinks it's Hamilton Hamilton. Um, but, you know, maybe it is. And, uh, and the, Oh, Damien. We go from there. So It took him so long to realize. And yes, Damien is a him. This is not a genderless thing. This is a male beast. That is dumb. Stupid beast. Wow. That got interesting for a second there. <laughs> All right. So it is three weeks from today. Uh, there will be the United States Grand Prix. I am hopeful. We, have, we, haven't, we don't really plan that far in advance. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. Actually, I do. You'll um, be you'll you will be uh, celebrating what a ten week old baby. I will have a well. Th- at that point, we go into months, so she'll be oh. two months old. Oh, because ten weeks. Who says that? Come on. Um, but yeah, something like Wait, that. Weren't you? You told me about a four hundred eight week old baby. Yeah, I don't know how old that even is. Um, no. So because of course the U.S. Grand Prix is only one time zone away from us. That is a beautiful time of day for us to get together, uh, watch a thing, uh, do some live, live perhaps live tweetering. Um, live. I don't know what you know. We, we should figure it out. I, I will be in town myself, so that's exciting. Um, and uh, as far as I know, I will be as well. It should be good. So hopefully we can uh, have you know more than just the usual uh, show after the fact. Maybe we can get together and uh, talk live and so on. So. Oh, please, 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 folks. Well, and also, actually, since you mention it, I'm going to interject and say that we are going to get more coverage. So maybe there is reason for that. Ooh, and we need to we need to catch up with uh, our main photographer and see what's going on with him. Yeah, we should talk to that guy. That guy's great, but, by the way. As I was going to say, please visit funwithcars.com. That is where you can hear yourself uh, have an email uh, butchered by me trying to read it on the air. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, if, especially if you have a Lake, hey, we both butcher equally well okay well, well i think i even butcher further especially if you have an interestingly spelled or somehow foreign to us name then by all means please send us an email let us know what you think of uh silly season of you know just whatever whatever you want to talk about at this point you know tires formula e whatever you like uh, sports cars and uh you know we always appreciate uh, hearing from you guys and uh, girls and oh 
Oh, God. What you think is going on? What? Yeah, no, no. You keep talking. I've got a thing, though. Oh, okay. Um, but also, um, do keep in touch with us on funwithcars.com and or Twitter and Facebook, uh, because if we do set up something cool in advance of the next show, then uh, you want to know about it and take part if it's, you know, some live tweeting, live video. Uh, you know, we do all kinds of fun stuff from time to time and uh, may actually be able to put something cool together. So please do stay tuned to us on those channels. Yeah, and uh, the the quick news I was going to point out is actually uh, IndyCar, uh, but Simon Paginode, uh has been announced as a fourth Penske driver in IndyCar for 2015, and that's going to be fascinating. Simon Paginode has been in Indy and sports cars here in the United States for the past few years. French driver, very quick, proven to be versatile, capable, and he's given a similar chance that uh, Will Power was given when they finally got a third full-time Penske car operating. I mean, this is quite, in an, in, I, in my opinion, a redundancy of the same thing, and I I wouldn't be surprised if it had the same effect. I would say that Simon Pagano has IndyCar champion um, capabilities, absolutely. So I'm excited for that. And that is not Formula 1, but is still awesome. So with that, I am Rob Warner. And I am Jim Lau. We'll see you in two weeks. No, three weeks. Three weeks. We'll see you in three weeks. Yeah, then.